from Brisbane, Australia. This is episode 141 of The Normal Blokes, a podcast dedicated to improving the competitive 40k experience. I'm Zanith, and today we're joined by the monolith himself, Liam Hackett. How you doing, mate? We're phasing in again. I'm glad to be back. How hypercrypt of you. Oh, mate. It is, uh, it is lovely to be back on the... On the we call them airwaves. Do podcasts use airwaves? I don't know. Well, look, if if you've got Elon Musk's chip in your brain and you're getting this episode through the the metaverse, uh, thanks for tuning in, everyone. It has been a bit of a hiatus for us, but we're very keen to be back. Yes, we all uh, enjoyed a bit of time off over the break, but what started up in January with you know everyone's New Year's resolutions back to work? What else started up, Liam? Team events for 40k have started up. Boom boom. And we've got one this weekend run by Gladiator Gaming, a.k.a. Josh McGowan. He's running a big team event at Fitzy's. Uh, 20 plus teams again, Liam, is it? Uh, I, th- I think I think there's either 19 or 20 teams, which is a pretty oh. huge turnout for a five-player team event. First one of the year, people are keen as a bean. That's it. And uh, me and Liam are on the same team for the first time in a little while. We're going to uh, play on the normal jokes team, which is going to be really fun. Um, <laughs> the normal jokes. It's actually such a good team, man. Yeah, it's the best. Coined by Matthew Morisoli at the start of 2021, the normal jokes. You think that we're calling ourselves the normal jokes because there's an actual normal blokes team entered? There isn't. It's just us. <laughs> but, um, oh, yeah. dear. So nah, we'll look, be I think... Um, I think the, the greatest Australianism in 40K is someone insults you once and you actually love it. You, you love the insult more than the compliments and so you run with it for so long. Mm, yes, I'm, I'm quite enjoying being a normal joke. It's quite sick. But uh, yeah, we've got the two of us, big captain, Brian Lakeland, leading us into battle. Um, and then we've got Nathan and uh, big Benny as well, who's uh, not playing Thousand Sons, but he's playing Admec. It's going to be good. Yeah, it's actually, look, it's a pretty cool lineup. You know, I've not played an event with you in a long time, and I'm pretty sure I've never played an event with Nathan, or it, or if I have, it was many, many moons ago. Mm. Um, whereas uh, Ben and Brian are obviously returning veterans. If anything, I, I'm the odd one out here. I haven't played local events in a while, but I, I'm coming back a force majeure to the 2024 scene here in Brizzy. I'm going to do my best to play as many local events as I can. That's it, mate. These uh, these old knees are getting getting a bit tired, so uh, better get out there and start running. It'll be uh, a good weekend of forty k. What are you bringing to the table, Doc Hackett? So we are we're coming like hot off the presses with uh the the new Necron Codex and um look uh, again character four. Maybe I can't uh, just play the the standard stuff. I think feel like I have to try and special snowflake myself. So I'm playing me a hypercrypt. Uh, detachment Necron army, um, with no raids and no Catans and no destroyers. So I'm 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 taking nothing uh, that the internet says is good. But instead, I've decided that the old rectangle of doom, the monolith, is the way to be. So I'm running three monoliths, the Silent King, thirty immortals in three by five uh, in five man units. Sorry, and a single locust destroyer, and a single um, uh. Countertech Spider. So yeah, it's um, it's over a hundred wounds of of vehicles. Uh, it's not over hundred. So it's about ninety wounds of vehicles with a two up armor, which is pretty cool. Um, and yeah, most of it's toughness thirteen. So it's actually pretty funny. Um, in the games I've been playing with it so far, it kind of just goes like pew pew teleport, and 
some cool combos of being able to teleport all the monoliths and then every monolith poops out an immortal unit like onto objectives. So it's uh, it's really mobile. It, it's really different. Um, and I, I feel like I'm uh, contributing to the game by not just playing Necron Rushes. You heard it here first, nerds. The biggest nerd has spoken. <laughs> uh, oh, man, so hand on heart, the little crystal on top of the monolith that's now like an orb looks like my head. It literally does. It's even got a little flat bit at the top, right where my like bald spot is. I really want to like Photoshop your head like fifty percent opacity into the crystal, like you're kind of shining through it, and make that the cover art for this podcast episode. <laughs> that would actually be complete. Just do it. Oh, Just mate. do it. <laughs> but that's sick. I'm I'm yet to play. Um, against this version of your list, but I've just heard what it's done, and I'm like, oh my god, <laughs> I'm so excited <laughs> to well, be on to so be on this look, side of that list, to be on your team. <laughs> so look, in in the defense of like even myself, I only played like three games with it, and because uh, the venerable Ben Warrior on our team is the one painting my army for me, um, at at a cost i might add but he's still painting my army i've been playing all my practice games for this event um which has only been like three really uh with bits of paper cut out to the exact dimensions of the monolith um so i've been uh, throwing these little paper frisbees around my table at home just trying to blow people up and it's, it's been a bunch of fun <laughs> nice mate i'm imagining what, how what about you what are you bringing I was going to quickly say, I imagine how, like, you know when astronauts go into space and stay in space for too long and their, like, muscles get weak? I wonder if your, like, 40k muscles are getting weak by only moving paper bits around instead of actual monoliths and we get to the weekend and you're going to be all slow and shit. Well, the thing is, right, and and this is the thing that came up in one of my other games, is that uh, the monolith is such a ridiculously big, unwieldy model, but hilariously, its footprint is actually not crazy. Like, it's... Mm. I actually have... I don't know. I really thought the monolith was this ridiculously big, unmovable unit, but its base size is like, it's actually like just fine. Like it just works on the games workshop style tables. Like it just does. But the, the big issue though, is that, you know, it's a two up armor vehicle that you want to give cover to all the time because mm. then, you know, you have a one up save and you might as well just have a four up invert anyway. Mm. So when, when I'm playing games and I'm like just tucking the corner, like, you know, it's, it's left big toe just behind a little ruin so that the entire model gets a one-up save. Um, yeah, it's pretty funny, but like doing it with bits of paper is a bit janky. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's uh, it's going to be nicer when you have the actual models that the lovely Ben is uh, sorting out for you, mate. But uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna enjoy stripping cover off things like that with my list. It's gonna be it's gonna be sick. I'm playing some Blood Angels and um, played a bit of Tower, played a bit of Ninth uh, Knight, sorry, in Tenth, and uh, that was a lot of fun. But um, I've been talking to Geordie a fair bit and he's loved his Blood Angels and one of the things he liked is just being so quick um, with things like the Bile Predators, um, playing the Blood, Blood Angels in the Gladius. Um, so I played around with it, but I kind of was drawn to the, the Firestorm detachment that Marines have. Um, more so because the whole army gets assault on its range weapons, which means you can advance and shoot anything, but also means you can advance and like do secondaries really well. Um, mm. So it just unlocks like a really good fixed game plan for Marines, which I thought was cool. Um, Balpreds are pretty insane for how many points they are. Like they do a lot for 125 points with the Flamers, the Overwatch threat, the Hunter Killers. Like you get them in combat and they're just as good because they just sit there flaming things. 
Um, they don't need to roll to hit, so like they don't really care about any of those things. Um, a nice little tank shock platform if you just want to get a mortal here and here and there. Um, and I was mucking around with some of the combos that Firestorm has um, with like torrent weapons, like aggressors and like Land Raider Redeemer's been super fun, <laughs> like super super fun. Like just throwing it out into a random spot, um, holding an objective or something. And if something shoots it, the aggressors get out and start shooting the thing back. That's kind of fun. Um, but the funnest or the coolest thing about this is having the Sanguinor. Being able to just run around and do janky combat things and like heroic from Deep Strike. It's just, it's just like brought me joy in the game. <laughs> it's the best way I can put it. After playing quite a one-dimensional army in Tau and another similar kind of, not one-dimensional, but one-style army with knights. This has been super fun. Yeah, and like the Firestorm is kind of fun because it, it just gives your entire army the ability to just roll dice whenever you move. You, you feel yeah. like you're more actively playing the game. Yeah, and stuff like the Flamer Tanks have like crazy Overwatch potential. And then you've got things like a Death Company unit, although it doesn't hit as hard as it used to, with things like Neg 1 damage with Lamartis actually starts to like be a bit of a tar pit, kind of like Wraiths. So... I've got a, a fun unit there. So, like, every everything I've got in the army kind of feels like it's got its own fun role. I've said fun a lot because it's actually really fucking fun. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it feels like I'm playing, like, a, a marine company, which is cool. Yeah, and, like, you know, obviously the army's, the army's good. Like, I think a lot, of the, a lot of the good marine units all get benefit from your detachments. So that's pretty cool. But, um... Mm. Shall we touch on briefly what the rest of our, our squad is bringing? Yes, yes. Um, you can talk to what Ben's got because you've played him most recently, I think, right? I have literally never versed his list. I have absolutely no idea what it does, <laughs> but he is playing Admech. Um, he is playing Admech with Breaches in a detachment. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, I, I realized you played him when he was on T Suns about three hours before this sub. Sorry, Ben. <laughs> so, um, in, in all seriousness, it's I'm pretty sure it's like the Hunter cadre or something. Um, let me let me look it up. But uh, it's a variety of like Skitari units with the characters that like stop twelve inch deep strike deny or do plus one OC in the unit that's also neg one OC. So like mm -hmm. it's a very good objective flipping unit. Mm -hmm. He's got some breacher units that are amazing anti vehicle shooting, like absolutely amazing. Um, and it's actually suspiciously durable because some of them can get a four up invo, and then other one of them, um, other units, sorry, can get a five up feel no pain. Um, and they're just like you know pretty cheap units that do a very good job. The other thing is the army is like suspiciously cheap, and you get a lot in an admech list. Um, I think admechs, um, you know, in, in a lot of the opinions, it, it's struggling a little bit at the moment, but it's still a list that in teams absolutely dumpsters on most of the mech armies like we're having a chat hilariously um his list is like the best at this event at killing monoliths um so i'm really <laughs> glad he's on my team Excellent. yeah so um that's what ben's playing in a uh old uh the the veteran captain himself brian lakeland mm -hmm. um is playing the old golden boys uh bringing the custodies back He's got a variety of small units and some really, really cool tech actually playing with the Virtus Praetors, the, mm -hmm. the golden biker boys, the the suppositories from the Vaults of Terror um, coming back to... Uh, they do a really cool trick where they come on and then they, they move at the end of the turn. So he, like, rapid ingresses them, 
and then at the end of the opponent's turn gets to move again. So he actually just gets to rapid ingress like anywhere and take your objective. Uh, so it's actually it's actually really cool. Um, I really really like that list. It does a lot of cool stuff. Yeah, it's it's real funny that um, me and Brian played a game and it was really tight and. We're talking about the units in his army that did the most work in like grindy and like real cagey situations. He's like, I really like the Sisters of Silence. Like, they're so cool. They add so much. I'm like, sick man, just take more, take more, take more. And then he had a Calidus in the list that it just got trimmed and changed and trimmed. And he's like, Denith, I'm going to have to drop the Calidus. I'm going to have to drop it. I'm just going to take like a billion Sisters of Silence. And I'm like, sweet. <laughs> Told me that. And within five minutes, I hadn't ever saw in my list. <laughs> Just, just changed it off completely. I was like, "Sick, gonna take that assassin slot." But um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see what he does because there's a few things that Custodes had and people focused on in early tenth that, like, when I played him, I kind of forgot about. I'm like, "Ah, I can table this. I've tabled it before." And then you realize how, how impactful fights first is right now. <laughs> it's actually it's, huge. Yeah, it's just like a primary secure, like, kind of like ability now. So I'm I'm keen to see what he does. And um Nathan, me and Nathy, the uh the fun pairings team from the Mercs last year, right now just little soldiers fighting along and um Nathan's Nathan's uh enjoying life as a Chaos Knight player. Uh not I don't think he's contributed the Chaos Knights here. The the enchanting Wayne, one forty one from one forty one, has uh has lent his CK army to Nathan. Um so we got uh, six brigands, five carnivores by the looks, a stalker, and uh, some little little tech with some Nurgling and the Changeling, which is, oh, I, I hate the Changeling. Um, but he's so good. Oh, dude, yeah, for what, like sub 100 points, right? Yeah, 90 points. Just incredible. Incredible. So um, he's got that, and then he's got uh, a bit of bit of fun stuff with Sloppity Balpiper rolled in there as well. So um, I think Nathan's going to do super well, especially on these tables. So I'm excited. Yeah. Um, honestly, um, for those of you who are tuning in who um, aren't coming to the event or um, haven't played at the events before, and this is probably me speaking to myself, actually, because I haven't been to one of the Gladiator Gaming events in a while, Um uh, some locals here in Queensland have developed some terrain maps for uh, Teams events, which are actually pretty different. They use similar terrain pieces to the um, Games Workshop layouts, but uh, rather than have different sized pieces, they're all the same, which makes it more replicable, which is very nice. And they're arrayed into light, medium and heavy tables. Um, they are a little bit different in that the ruins are quite dense but placed in odd angles and ways that make it so that the ruin isn't always like the way round that you want it um and it's really going to be interesting because for example our team is are taking armies that you would think i guess on paper maybe don't use terrain well and i'm thinking they're like my list and nathan's list especially in that you know he's playing an all mech army and i've got three titanic units in my army but both of these lists actually use terrain really well because Nathan can use Knights of Shade, a stratagem to move through walls. And my army just pretends it's gene stealer cults, but made of metal. Um, so kind of just does whatever it wants and just appears in front of you and poops out immortals. So it's going to be very fun to see. Um, and hopefully we have a, another thing to talk about next week when we do well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It'd be cool to, um, to, to see how we go, but I guess Liam, what, is one, well, one of the things that uh, dictates how we go is pairings, isn't it? 
Oh, the P word. I do love the pairings. No, no, but no. Honestly, pairings is the part of 40k that I think never gets never gets as much love uh, as it deserves. We we talk and podcasters in general and content creators and YouTubers and whoever writes that smoke signal in the sky above my house. They all love talking about like 40k list construction and cool tricks in game, but pairings is what makes like teams events really exciting and pairings is what makes um teams of champions become championship teams so um we've touched on the podcast before about you know the pairings process but i think we've spoken in the past beneath about our four-man teams and eight-man teams which were previously kind of the way we used to go but this is um expanding a little bit to to the five-man teams which is kind of taking it up that little extra notch um yeah i think yeah, it's um, it's. I think when we first started playing Liam years ago now, but I mean, for you, you started well before me. But the first team events I was exp- I was exposed to were four player teams, where a team would put up a defending list and um, the other team would reply with a single attacker list, and those two had to play. So that was quite a simplified version of pairings, which is cool, um, but it didn't give much. Uh, it didn't give many dimensions to that kind of picking process and it wasn't really done simultaneously. The way the five player teams is done is very similar to how WTC and other, you know, events do eight player teams where both teams will simultaneously put up the defenders and then the other teams will get a chance to look at them and put in two attacking lists that that the defender has to then choose which one they're playing and on which table. So (laughs) there's a lot going on kind of simultaneously. Um, so there's two of those processes which would pair up the first four lists and then the fifths would come in and, and play each other or the rejected lists would, would play one another. So as you can kind of appreciate, there's a level of complexity on the surface of that, but then every little step you add in gets more complex. And, and um, you know, I guess to really experience it, you, you have to have seen it and done it a lot and to understand that. But Liam, you've been on you know, that pairings table, either behind the laptop or as captain, multiple times on multiple stages. Um, If we've got people listening in who are newer or even, you know, experienced or want to know a bit more about it, what kind of things do you think are important to focus on? So I think that when you're looking at pairings overall, there can be this real impetus to try and either do one of two binary approaches where you either want to lead strong um, or lead with perhaps your weaker armies to try and secure them like a good matchup. And the thinking there's thinking there makes sense, you know, um, especially in a five-man teams event, you might want to lead with one of your stronger lists first. Let's not let's not pretend that you know 40k is an 100% balanced game. There are factions that are stronger than others, and so people will want to lead perhaps with a a stronger army to secure a good matchup out of the pot. Because if there's only going to be five pairings, getting one out of five to be a good win from the start is always good for you. The problem, though, with that former idea is that if you lead with one of these really good armies, that good army might actually get countered by two lists that counter it. Um, we didn't we didn't really touch on it at the start, but just to super briefly go over the pairings process, because I, I know we've talked about this previously, but there might be some new people tuning in where the way pairings will work is that both teams will secretly um, choose one of their lists to be their put up or what we refer to as uh, their uh, defender. Then you're going to put up 
Um, and then each team, once you know what the other teams put up, you'll select two of your lists to go into um, their defender. These are your you, uh, these are your attacking um, attacking lists. Now the defender gets to pick which of those attacking lists uh, it plays, and then gets to pick the table that they play on as well. So it's interesting when. If you have a strong list up, they could potentially put two things that you might actually not want to play, and suddenly your plan is foiled. Equally, you could put up a weak list, and even though they might put two things into you that, that might beat you, you get to pick the table you play on, so it can make that match as close as possible on, let's say, a favorable terrain map. It's interesting because there's lots of different schools of thought here, and I tend to have a bit of a think about um, either some shock and awe factor by going in with something scary early on to throw people off, or maybe just having a think about who we want to who we want to play more, and especially locally, who's on what team. Yeah, and I think the because there's a lot of those factors, it's it's kind of easy to get tunnel vision on certain things and. Like, I remember a while ago, um, Jeremy Martino from, from Vic talked about it in three kind of distinct things. Like, you've got you've got this resource war going on during pairings of, of players trying to manage resources and, and know what's good into what. And then you've got, on top of that, the next day is like an information war of who's got the most accurate pairings data and, and, and values. And then on top of that, there's this psychological element of who's playing what and who's scared of what and things like that. So, especially like like you touched on in the local meta, when you know the players really well and you know how they play and, and what they think. Like we've had team events where before a round, like someone's verbalized that they don't want to play something on our team. And it's like, oh, well, that's... That's a nugget. <laughs> That's a real nugget. We we're not we're we're definitely going to weaponize that. <laughs> so um, I think like one of the cool things as well about like when you know people so well. Yeah. Um, and I'm saying this because I know Brian will never listen to this podcast, right? And if he does, <laughs> I, if he does, if he does, I'm going to hear about it. But all of Brian's pairings are yellows. So for people listening, one of the good things about teams, and I actually really enjoy this part of the game, is that when all the lists are released live, you go through all the lists and you you rate what the matchup is. Um, typically on a scale of 0 to 20, using the WTC bracketing system, uh, but you could also think about it as a traffic light system. Red, yellow, green. Red, bad, yellow, okay, and green, very good. So when you're trying to do pairings, it's obviously a game of getting as many greens as possible or getting as few reds as possible. And theoretically, if your data is correct on how you predict your games, um, then if you've achieved that, you should win the round. Uh, best laid plans and all that, it very rarely goes to plan. But I really like the data gathering part of this, except Brian Lakeland loves the color yellow. He's literally red, green, <laughs> colorblind, and all he sees is yellow. There's, there's nothing in that pairing sheet that's just not yet. There's maybe like two greens. Um, but anyway, so it's basically um, as much as that might like on paper sound good and also is, is by the way, accurate considering the faction he's playing. Mm. But just I suppose for people listening, it's important to know that whilst having only yellows might actually sound okay, because you know you're actually saying that you largely go pretty well into anything, um, and you're not going to lose badly to anything. Mm. It actually means in pairings, it's hard to get you a favorable result because everything's kind of just okay. Yeah. Having some variance is important to give um, whoever's doing your pairings just some kind of idea about what you actually want. Yeah, it's hard to 
it's, it's it's like hard to use the tools if the tools are a bit blunt, right? Like if if you've got a couple of lists that don't quite do a lot, they're forced to fill a certain role, like just go out to like a bit of cannon fodder sometimes. Um, but if you've got like as a player, you know, putting the score down, sometimes it's really hard to kind of stick your neck out and say, yep, this is an 18. I can confidently say I can 18 this list or you know, be like, oh, is this actually a two or a three? Can I get a four or a five? So that level of confidence in your own ability comes in. But then you've got people who, like, I remember when I was 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 doing some of the coach stuff for, for state and national level stuff for, for 40K, and, and it was interesting learning about how players actually put their numbers in <laughs> and what kind of variance we expect from certain players. So as, you know, the person doing the pairings or as the captain of your team... Over time, you might start realizing that with the same people you're playing with. I'm sure Liam, like like you said about Brian and his, you know, pretty middling conservative pairings. I'm sure there's like little idiosyncrasies you picked up from like Ben and Lockie and stuff that, that are the same, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, that's one way to put it. Yes. yes. That is one way to put it. I um I have I have learnt over many repetitions that it is probably going to be the case that some scores are way more conservative than you would expect um in particular with those two and i say that because 80 percent of their 40k games are against me um and i think their uh their overall perception of how good they actually are because they're both excellent 40k generals is not where i think reality lies <laughs> yeah, Liam's going into into pairings with the Red Sea in front of him, and he's like, "Ah, oh, I can't do anything with this." <laughs> that was literally not, nothing, nothing but Reds. Oh. And um, one of the really fun things about teams, I'm I'm going to go off on a tangent. Yeah. I'm so sorry, no, no, but this is actually one of my best memories from a from a team tournament, and it, I think it really speaks to um, like the how competitive teams can be, but also how unpredictable teams can be. I'm talking, I'm pretty sure we're talking 2019 ATC uh, here uh, in Brisbane at the Brook Hotel. Mm -hmm. And it's uh, Team Queensland versus uh, Team South Australia. And we've got our our pairings guru, um, Eric himself, doing pairings against um, South, South Australia's Adam Napier. And Eric is well known at being a incredibly good uh, player at pairings. And so Adam has taken the approach that what he will do is um, he will completely randomize his team's pairing with no approach to strategy whatsoever. Now, you might think that this is madness, but Eric had such a layered in-depth plan <laughs> that this random pairings <laughs> actually threw him off. That's mental, dude. <laughs> it threw him off and had us as a team a bit bamboozled because, like, we were all playing, like, weird, weird stuff. And then, um, oh, look, uh, it's That's, just interesting. Yeah, yeah you have this quite rather unique approach, let's say. Um, I think in five-man teams, I think it's... Um, Honestly, I think it's a really good laugh, but you'd probably want to have some control over your pairings. I think, yeah, the, the ability for that to snowball gets pretty wild on smaller numbers. But yeah, like, well, that's an exact example of people's pairing strategies can be different, right? Like, so for me, my my approach typically in pairings, if I'm on the table with the laptop, is 
my my view is if there's reds or there's bad games, I'm going to prioritize getting those bad games off the board. Um, and I'd rather have a few middling scores than like one green, one red, and have to rely on this one green to come through and this one red to try and pull up. Like I would rather yeah. that and our players be, you know, chipping away at what they want. And then ideally if that's happening and something goes wrong, we can communicate that quickly and the something going wrong is not massive. It's not an 18 turning into a five. It's a an eight turning into a five, let's say. So that's a bit yeah. nicer. Um, I know other people have different approaches. Um, Eric talks a lot about the resource management and the attrition war that goes on during pairings. Um is there any kind of overarching philosophy you have when you are kind of sorting out what's happening? Yeah. So I, I try and look, I think I always try and treat my numbers as accurate and I try and eliminate the variables as fast as possible. So my overarching philosophy is um, I'll look at the lists in my team and let's say someone on the team has like a couple of good matchups, but one really, really, really bad matchup. I'll tend to try and get them out of the the hand, so to speak, earlier hmm. to make sure and absolutely guarantee that we avoid that matchup um and i do that because i think it's i think it's easier to eliminate your red matchups than secure your green matchups mm-hmm. and so i think it's better to have that like safer bedrock um but but equally um you know that plan might sound sensible but it only works if your data is like 100% on so sometimes uh, especially against teams of more savvy players i can sometimes just sort of play it by gut feeling a little bit as well like there's something to be said for experience yeah and like that's that's the other layer of when you kind of if you have a better idea of what's in their head in terms of what they want a certain list to play like if they've got a player that's doing really well on one faction that you kind of predict is going to be their big sword and they think they're going to smash a particular style of list or they have before, but you know that your player can can stop that happening. Like, you can sometimes pair to that to that bit of knowledge, like that little nugget of information, right? Like, that, that starts to, especially on the local scene, that starts to become really valuable information. Um, the other, I guess, thing on that is like you touched on it, like you've got to be able to trust, like have that trust in the number that's on the spreadsheet, right? Like we can't, we can't be second guessing players. Like when stuff starts to hit the wall, if things go good or bad, you you need to have the faith in the, in the team and the players that they're going to deliver. Right. Yeah. And look, at the end of the day, it's also about um, every one of these events is an experience building. Mm -hmm. And so I don't think it's fair to expect people especially if they're playing a new codex or new rules are out to be super duper accurate with uh, their pairings data. Mm-hmm. Um, and so maybe like accepting a little bit of variances here. Yes. But equally, equally this stuff, you know, whilst it does take experience and reps and stuff like that, it's also not profound rocket science. Like if you're playing a mech army and you're looking at an ad mech list with all the haywire in the world, you should probably know that's pretty bad for you, right? Mm. Like ha- ha- having a bit of an understanding just about the game, even just asking your mates if you're a, a newer player, just ask people who have been around for a while being like, hey, does El- do Eldar have guns? Um, I don't like guns very much. Uh, maybe Eldar's bad for me. Um, yeah, just, just stuff like that I think is pre- is you know good for getting that data. And mm. also every event like this, can help you prepare for like a bigger, more important team event. For the people from Queensland, um, going 
uh, to like ATC, for example, this is a great practice event because you're going to be in a team of experienced players. I, I actually, to my understanding, the Queensland players, the eight of them have actually broken into two separate teams. Mm -hmm. yeah. So they're actually all, they're, they're working together for this event as well, which I think is awesome. Yeah. And like, I mean, we've been playing teams for a little while now and even we can see where we started to, to where we are now. Like this is a very learnable skill. And if you, you know, after an event, if you really look back on how your pairings went, your data went and, and things like that, it's very easy to, to improve every single team event. Um, I know data collection is a lot to do with playing the list and like understanding the matchup really well. And, you know, that takes time. But there are things, overarching things and, and overarching bits of knowledge that you can gain, not even just by playing games, but just knowing how your things work, knowing how your opponent's things work. So, like, I, th I think we can make, increase the precision, if you could want to call it that, of our, of our uh, data gathering, the more we do this kind of thing. Um, so, I, I think if people are going into this weekend and are going in for the first team event or, or, or a newer, um, really have that introspection after you're done. Um, especially the person at the table doing the pairings, like try and think about why you're doing certain things and, and if that's the correct thing or if, you know, if you learnt from that experience, cause that'll always make you better. hundred percent. And I think at the end of the day as well, it's important to go into every event that you play with sensible goals. And I think that if you go into an event and your intent is to play a team event and have fun with your mates, awesome. Like that is, a, that is an excellent goal. And if you go into team events with the goal of practicing your pairings and getting ready for a bigger event, that's also an awesome goal. But I think that you, nobody should go into a team event they're playing just with some mates and expect all of their data to be 100% accurate and all of their games go exactly as expected. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I just think that, you know, at the end of the day, having those reasonable goals just makes games in general more fun, right? Yeah. You don't want to expect yourself to be a, um, you know, a top-level player uh, with a top-level codex if you've never even played it before. You'd want to have that experience. Mm. And, and this is um, this is where you get it, right? Yeah, like that, when you were talking about that, it reminded me of something Luke, our, our very own Luke Pierce says all the time. And he's, Luke's an incredibly good 40K player, but he'll never go out and tell you that he's good. <laughs> He's, he's so humble and he he says, um, he's like, Denith, whenever I play a new army that I haven't played this edition, I just go out expecting I'm just going to get smashed and I want to learn about that army while I'm playing it. And for a guy that's been on so many top tables, like, <laughs> I have mad respect for him just approaching the game like that. Like, just, he, just being he, so open-minded, right? Source. Yeah, like he's being so... a humble source. <laughs> yeah. So having that level of, like, open-mindedness, if it is something that, that you are new at or still picking up is, is super important. Even like honestly, even for veteran players and players who've been around a lot, it's it's such a good skill to have. Yeah, hundred percent. And I think Luke Luke absolutely has one of the best attitudes of anyone playing forty k. He's he's very humble, always open to learning, um, and he's just a very smart boy. He he, he freaking <laughs> loves it. Yeah. But um... so I'm I'm really excited for this team event, and I think that um. I'm really keen for our team in a meta at the moment dominated by, like, let's say, um, a fair bit of world eaters, I'm going to say, uh, CSM, still quite a bit of Eldar, uh, Tau, and a few other things like that. We've got Firestorm Marines, Admech, Monoliths, Chaos Knights, and Custodies. 
So yeah, we are proper I, weird, right? Like we're we're proper like off the ball. <laughs> we, we are we are the, the, a strange team, that's for sure. <laughs> we are definitely not the normal blokes. <laughs> we are the normal jokes, is what yeah. we are. Oh, it's actually pretty funny. Yeah, I don't think anything. I guess I haven't looked at the most recent set of like weekend data things. Like an Ekron's crushing still. Yeah. So um. Uh, in the Meta Watch or whatever it's called, or Meta Monday, I think is what that fellow calls it. Uh, the Necron Canoptech court lists had a inordinately high win percentage, um, a, about sixty percent, I'm pretty sure, overall, and went either winning or X and one at a, a large number of events, like five or six events. Mm-hmm. Um, the hypercrypt Necron lists, which was like widely touted as the um, little brother of the Canoptech Court, in that it was like the second best Necron detachment, had a win rate of about thirty <laughs> percent. Oh my god, bro! Um, really? In that it's uh, basically losing, uh, yeah, like most of its games, and I think that really speaks to it's much harder to use, and it does n- it, it does very little to like buff the profiles of anything. Like yeah. it doesn't buff damage, it doesn't buff durability, um, and that's the detachment I'm taking beneath. <laughs> so let's 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 see if that trend uh, trend continues. But I think Necron's out of the box. There's some really big um, boogeymen. The Catans and the Raids are obviously the the big contenders, but I I posit to you, sir, that the Monolith is the true OG. I just I just love that your list name is the Monobrow to match the Neckbeard. Help <laughs> <laughs> it, man! I was I was like sitting at work trying to come up with a list name, and I was like, oh man, I've got to make a Monobrow joke. I absolutely. <laughs> I was expecting to make you to make like a being sick joke with mono or something. Oh, I'm gonna give you mono or something horrific. Yeah, <laughs> but um, yeah, I I think it's kind of cool that as well with the five player teams we've got a bit more of a a streamlined and and steady table format as well with uh, the gladiator gaming events. Like we've got the one heavy, the one light, and the three mediums that are staying fairly consistent. Um. I think that actually is great at the entry level to plan for using a table, don't you think? Like you can really suss out what is is, is something you like or dislike about a certain table pick and, and really hone your skills. How are you finding them? Yeah, I think, and, and one of the things that is definitely true of Gladiator gaming events, but is also true of events like the World Championships in Atlanta and just 40K events in general is I'm finding terrain as a concept is a lot more rigid and is a lot more transparent than it ever has been. And this is just a good thing through and through. People are being told well in advance what sort of terrain they're playing on, how much of it there is, and exactly where it is in the orientation of things like ruins. And this really actually matters because for that competitive style play, planning your game plan around the table designs, it changes a lot. And then what I really like that Josh has done for the Gladiator gaming events is he's not only given people the terrain maps, but he's also just labeled them like light, medium, and heavy. And so yeah. if you're approaching this from a more casual, friendly perspective, armies that go pew-pew like the light and armies that go slap-slap like the heavy, mm. that's honestly just like you can look at it that way and go, oh, okay, this is actually really helpful because it's guiding 
players on my team to pick the tables that they know is effective for them. Yeah. It's terrain transparency is just like having a clear rule book. I think is if you and your opponents know exactly where things are supposed to be, minimizes arguments, and just like I hope this podcast does, improve the competitive 40k experience. Yeah, I, I think it's definitely come a long way from like three or four years ago, where it was a bit of like the Wild Wild West when it came to terrain. And like every event now will put out like some form of terrain pack, right? Like it's it's so commonplace, which is which is amazing. Yeah. So it, I, it's, it's actually the, the MO. Yeah, like I've I've found like criticisms or whatever of all terrain packs, every every single one will have some and some people will be happy or unhappy about them. But I found this particular pack, the Gladiator one, has been great just because the missions like don't change too much. It's just like the terrain's here, the objectives are here, like done. And it's the same five. Like that that's just made it so great for me. I've been practicing on the medium, which is which is so much fun playing corner to corner, especially when you've got flamers everywhere. It's sick. You see so much. So like <laughs> I love it. It's great. But um mm. Yeah, I'm I'm excited. Well, mate. I feel we should try and conserve some energy and re re convene maybe in the new week when we have a whole team event together denith you me and nathan too should actually jump in and we could do a normal jokes recap episode in the Hell coming yes. week with a i'm hoping for a podium or maybe even a big w at the oh man I'd, I'd love a podium that'd be great it's been a hot minute since i was on there with big nathy we've been uh, we had a big 2022 uh, 2023 sorry campaign with some team events together and uh we did particularly normal blokey finishing in the middle so <laughs> I'd, I'd love a big podium um and yeah, I'm just excited to get five, <laughs> I was going to say Liam, five great games in, but me making round three is going to be questionable. Um, so. Yes, so as, as a final comment, um, <laughs> and not very normal blokesy, uh, but very, very uh, uh, disorganized man-esque, both Denith and I have functions to attend on the Saturday I'm not even going to say night, Saturday afternoon, yeah. uh, which means uh, that in a five-round event with three rounds on the Saturday, both of us may not be playing. Uh, sorry, both of us definitely won't be playing round three. Uh, and what that means is we've had to come up with some creative solutions for how the team is going to cope with this. Um, I'm actually flying in uh, one of our fellow normal blokes, uh, Lachlan Carter, to uh, be my sub for that round. Um, Lachlan Carter has played about one game of 10th edition, um, and he is coming over tomorrow to learn how to play my army, which basically just goes brr. Um, and then I believe, Denith, you've actually got the TO filling in for you. Yeah, I got I got to double check with the enchanting Josh McGowan. Um, but uh, yeah, I've got to I've got to sort that before round three. Otherwise, I'm uh, I'm playing 25 minutes of 40k and heading to dinner, mate. <laughs> You're a machine. Oh, oh dear. But um, but yeah, yeah. I, I'm I'm really excited. Um, I'm keen for the whole season. You know, the whole year to kick off. Josh has got some great stuff sorted for Queensland, and um, yeah, you'll hopefully hear all about it on the next episode, everyone. So thank you for listening in. Um, if you like what you heard, you know, give us a like on Facebook and subscribe to us on iTunes. Leaving reviews do help uh, new listeners find us. Um, thank you for everyone who's been supporting us on, on Patreon. We are keen to pump out some more content. But if you want to support what we do, um, head over to patreon.com slash the normal blokes. Um, also, a final note, we uh, on this weekend... Um, Following the Movember raffle, uh, Josh will have a lot of the prizes there. So, for anyone who's keen to pick them up, um, 
head on down to, to Fitzy's. Otherwise, you can contact uh, Josh McGowan at Gladiator Gaming or us, and we can organise that to be uh, sent out or you know meet up and, and give them away. So, yeah, Liam, any other closing comments, mate? Love you, Olivia, and I'll see you on Saturday, Denise. Yes, mate. Oh, wait, I lied to you. I'll see you tomorrow at Trivia, I'll the see normal you Trivia. I'll see you tomorrow at Trivia, mate. All right, take it easy, everyone. Stay safe. See you next time.